The Athletic. Totally Football Show. Hello, tinfoil, my old friend. It's the FA Cup third round. What's been brewing in the cup? Bar in hot water? Check. Bags of surprises? Check. Some bitter grounds? Check a roof. From Chesterfield, so far so good, to Man City, Chelsea, and the Graham Potter chat we said it would be madness to have just four months ago, but we're going to have anyway. We ran up all the weekend's big stories and more in this Totally Football Show. That's right, listener, you're tuned to the sound of the Totally Football Show on Monday the 9th of January here in the Deluxe Athletic Studio. We've got your Tim Spears. Hi, Tim. Hi, James. Also, Adrian Clark. Hello, Adrian. Hello, James. And joining us on the big screen of punditry, Daniel Story. All right, Daniel. Good morning, all. Daniel, fresh from a safari, a cup set safari this weekend. Yes, I went along to Chesterfield with... Vague hopes of discovering magic and found a little, yeah, a few little bit of golden dust along the way. Right. It's a lovely story, Daniel. Big city journalist heading back to the small town action and discovering some of the things we'd all forgotten along the way. Well, some big wins this weekend, but of course also one enormous loss that we're, I think, going to be feeling always. Gianluca Vialli, who, who of course passed away last week at the age of just 58. What an extraordinary life he led, and a lot has been said about Gianluca over the course of the last few days, and we'll take the opportunity to, to say a few words of our own, perhaps at the end of today's show. But uh, for now, let's start with the FA Cup third round. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network, and sponsored by LiveScore Bet. You can get the latest football betting odds at LiveScoreBet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. All right, FA Cup, third round. Quite the weekend. Non-league Wrexham knocked out championship side Coventry 4-3. Fellow fifth-tier teams Chesterfield have taken West Brom to a replay, while Boreham Wood, also from the National League, also face a replay after a 1-1 with Accrington Stanley. League two side Stevenage, meanwhile, knocked out Aston Villa at Villa Park, while Warsaw, also from the fourth tier, went through against Stockport County. League one Sheffield Wednesday put out Newcastle. Blackpool beat Forest 4-1. In the all-Premier League clashes, you had Man United beating Everton 3-1 and Man City facing Chelsea again, and this time sending them home with a 4-0 spanking that's left real questions. Uh, next up, Man City will be facing the winners of Monday night's clash, which is League One Oxford United, taking on Premier League leaders and record 14-time FA Cup winners Arsenal. That's Monday evening. Crikey. Loads of other games took place as well. We'll perhaps touch on some of those. What was your favourite bit of cup magic? Uh, Daniel, first of all, you. Well, I went to, to Chesterfield, but I really enjoyed seeing Wrexham uh, win at Coventry. I went to Wrexham last week for a kind of long read piece about um, so much has been written and said. And, and we've most of us have watched the documentary about the kind of celebrity elements of that takeover. But it's also a, a part of the world that really needed a good news story. And has got one, and it shows no sign of abating. They they were, they were at one point they were four one up away at Championship side Coventry. Coventry went down to ten men, and they still sort of made it squeaky by winning four three. But yeah, brilliant for Wrexham. Mm-hmm. 
What about Stevenage? Did they need a good news story? <laughs> yeah, they got one, didn't they? Blimey, that was that was some some result, wasn't it, against Aston Villa? My former club, of course, one of my former clubs. So, so I was I was chuffed to bits, and what a way to do it! Two goals in the last two or three minutes. So yeah, great if you, scenes. If you didn't see this, uh, Villa were cruising. Eighty-eight minutes in, they were leading one nil. Stevenage hadn't had a single shot on target. But Adrian, then? Then Villa imploded. Uh, then Donk, they tried to play out from the back and, and, and Stevenage won the ball. Then they, they committed a foul. It was a penalty, a red card. Penalty was scored and you thought, wow, they've got themselves a replay. Then from a short corner, Dean Campbell scores his first goal for Stevenage, near post strike, really, really good effort. And, and the 3,000 travelling fans just went absolutely berserk. It was it was glorious. Um, so, yeah, wonderful day for, for Stevenage. You, of course, have dined out on their sort of Newcastle FA Cup win for a number of years now. They've Now they've got another one to, to add to the list. And that was on the same date, apparently. There's no um, way. They're going to declare a national holiday every January the 8th. <laughs> right. what, what are the Stevenage. odds of the third round? That's oh, amazing. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Tim... What what delighted you most? This um, it, it well Spurs Portsmouth will will live long in the memory. Right, oh my God, it was horrendous. We're saving that for later. Okay, yeah, mm. yeah. Um, no, it would have to be yeah, just the manner of the Stevenage win uh, in front of the away end, two late goals. Uh, I love the 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 knee slide from after Reed's equaliser yes, right in front yeah. of the Villa fans, yeah. and then. Um, yeah, Dean Campbell's goal was was remarkable in terms of how Villa just watched him yeah. do it. Um, a short corner. There are eight eight Villa defenders in the box, mm. and they they just watch it happen. And then Ollie Watkins sort of belatedly comes off the post, which he's sort of mm. reluctant to do, yeah. and just give him a free shot. Crazy. Yeah. It, was, it was it was truly shocking defending. One other quick highlight was in the Cardiff Leeds game. If you oh, have yeah. you seen it, it was a brilliant cup tie, just just awesome. But Joel Bagan, the the fullback produced a wonderful save, basically, with his left hand, full stretch, uh, gave a penalty away. And, of course, they they missed the penalty. So, it, it, for a moment, it looked like it was going to be the best red card of the season so far, the most sort of worthy. And then Leeds uh, stole, a, stole a late equaliser, practically the last kick of the match. But, yeah, I, did en- I always enjoy a defender getting sent off for, for a handball on the line. Do you, yeah. Well, it happened to Did you ever once. do that yourself? Yeah, it happened to me once, yeah. Yeah, yeah I was... Shamefully so, um, but in Carlisle, Adrian Louis Clark, uh, Louis Suarez Clark. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. But but in my case, I think we were drawing at the time, and then went on to get battered. So um, yeah, I, I just got yeah nasty looks from from my new teammates. I see. Uh, I should mention that Villa beaten by Stevenage. That's the seventh season in a row they've been knocked out in the third round. Daniel, meantime, tell us about your trip to Chesterfield because you said it was great fun. It really was. It had everything I wanted from a cup tie. It had a press box that was two rows big and it's basically next to the most raucous element of Chesterfield fans who are also right next to the away fans. That's perfect. Uh, And it was a a fantastic game. Chesterfield went twice went behind, including in the first minute and then conceded, eventually conceded an equaliser for 3-3 in basically the last two minutes of the game of, of injury time. And were the better team between those two goals. Um, they've, they've got this young winger who I was talking to a local reporter about and they sort of said, yeah, he's quite tempestuous. That's probably why he's here. But Armando Dobra, which is this 21-year-old Albanian under-21 international who just looked like better than anything in the championship, basically, or certainly that West Brom had. West Brom made 11 changes, but 
still had a really strong team. Two of the attacking players they picked in Carlin Grant and Grady D and Garner cost them £25 million together. So this isn't a scratch team. Uh, it had two England internationals and two points to anyone that can name Jake Livermore and Martin Kelly as those. But yeah, it was just a great atmosphere. It's exactly what I, I'd gone for, exactly what I wanted. Sometimes those games, I remember going to Woking Watford a few years ago and Watford scored early and it was just like painfully dull because they won 2-0. But this was, yeah, this was everything I wanted. Magnificent. Will you be heading along to the replay whenever that takes place at the Hawthorns? I think I'll probably pick a different game for the replay. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, you, you obviously fear that when a team does that in the away leg, you think, well, at least you've got the home game to kind of go at it. You you probably think that Chesterfield have missed their chance there, which is a shame because they're also probably going to miss out on the Football League on the basis that they're behind both Notts County and Wrexham, who are just relentlessly pushing each other. Daniel, were you able to talk to any of the people there at Chesterfield? Uh, yeah, I spoke to a few people. Um, that makes it sound like I was a prince visiting the town, which is not the case. But there was a really lovely moment before the game where a boy came up the back of the stand with his dad and, and asked his father if I was VAR, which is, you know, I I, I was offended, but I Why didn't Why did you think that? Did you have offense. a range of screens in front of you? I just had a your bog standard issue lap, laptop, it really. Uh, no headphones in, but he was in his full wasn't kit, sort of, wasn't he? He yeah. was in the full, full, full. Yeah, I, I, had, I mean, I had Dean. I had a kit that had Dean Nine on the back, so maybe did, that was. Um, it. And what did his dad say? Did his dad shatter the illusions or say yes, son? Uh, his, his dad sort of said something along the lines of. No VAR here today, son. Right. It doesn't of... reflect well on VAR that that's what children think it is. <laughs> no offence, Daniel. It doesn't reflect well on me, to be honest. Of course, VAR not being there was quite a significant thing, was it not, Adrian? It was, because that was a, it was a huge incident at the end of the game where Thomas Asante sort of elbows slash swings his arm at one of the defenders. They, you know, they think it should be a red card. The referee d doesn't give it. There's no one there to look Daniel at it. Daniel wasn't paying attention. D Dan Daniel wasn't allowed to look at it, even though he was VAR. Thank you, Adrian. And, uh, and then, of course, he's off the pitch getting treatment. Right. And from the set piece, Thomas Asante, of all people, scores the equalising goal. So really, really controversial. It wasn't just at Anfield that, that VAR made the, the headlines. Was there, was there no press room? The last time I was at Chesterfield, there, there, was, there was zero facilities. No, straight through yeah. from the back of the stand yeah. to the seats, which is exactly, again, that's exactly what I wanted. Yeah, exactly. I didn't want to have to make small talk with people about FA Cup magic. I just wanted to <laughs> freeze my balls off sat in a, <laughs> on a press row seat. You didn't, you didn't even want some biscuits and a cup of tea, Daniel, surely. Didn't even, didn't, that's the last thing I wanted when it was cold. Right. <laughs> Daniel, in for a long morning, not wanting to make small talk about FA Cup magic. <laughs> <laughs> but so uh, there you go. Also this weekend, Sheffield Wednesday beating Newcastle 2-1. That's Newcastle's first defeat since the end of August. Josh Windass, is he relation? I think he is. Yeah? <laughs> is he Dean Windass's son? Yeah, Dean Windass. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm getting confirmation. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't totally sure. I was at Hillsborough last week. Yeah. And he scored a hat-trick. Yeah. In a 5-0 win against Cambridge. And he, he almost got a hat-trick in this game. Hit the bar with a sensational free kick that would have been goal number three for him. Um, so, yeah, what what a good run of form he's on. Slightly quirky character in that he doesn't celebrate goals or he isn't celebrating this season. I don't quite know the story behind it. Somebody in the press box told me last week, because he didn't celebrate any of his hat-trick goals against Cambridge, and I asked, what's this all about? Mm. And somebody said that they thought it was because he's in League One and that he feels that 
because it's a, a level below where he should right. be. He, Celebration police yeah. would be fully on board <laughs> with this. Want to, he doesn't to. want to over-egg it. Yeah. But, I mean, a cup tie against Newcastle United, I would have thought qualifies as, as, as a right to celebrate. But He's he, not just got a lot of former clubs, has he? I don't, I don't believe he's a former magpie, but certainly not a Cambridge United player. But, yeah, he's a good finisher and what a result because, yeah, Newcastle, we, we all know how good they've been this season. Mm. Chris Wood with an absolute sitter. Would it be fair to describe Oh, yeah. To equalise? I was waiting for the bobble on the replay, but there was no bobble. <laughs> no, it's uh, true. <laughs> and it was like a rugby shot, basically. Um, quite, quite surprised to see Newcastle make so many changes. I mean, Eddie Howe's sort of renowned for it from his Bournemouth days, but... I don't know. That's just football, isn't it? Uh, top four, obviously, more important than winning a trophy. Not only the top four, but also the Carabao Cup quarterfinals, which are only days away now. We'll, we'll touch on that later. Adrian's keen to discuss their quarterfinal clash with Leicester. But, do you know, I mean, there were a lot of Premier League sides going out. Record numbers, in fact. We've never had so many Premier League teams exiting at the third round since the, the Premier League's inception. Eight teams out already. One more will go when Liverpool and Wolves have their... A replay among the other sides exiting ooh, Nottingham Forest, who lost 4 1 at Championship side Blackpool, and Bournemouth, who got done by Championship leaders Burnley as well. Hmm. Uh, Chelsea, too, uh, once again at the hands of Man City, and perhaps that's where we'll head next. This is the Totally Football Show, sponsored by Live Score Bet, the home of squads. Squads is a weekly free to play game. You reveal five players across the week which make up your squad and you can earn cash each time they score in the selected games. The cash amount is decided by LiveScore Bet's prize wheel and can range from 10p up to £50 per goal, which you can spend once the final player is revealed. Find out more and play squads for yourself for free at LiveScoreBet.com or by downloading the LiveScore Bet app on Android and iPhone. It's over 18s only and full terms and conditions apply. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. Liverpool fans, we've got some news. The Athletic's dedicated Liverpool podcast has been given a lick of paint and it's coming back bigger and better than ever in 2023. It's still twice a week and it's still your go-to place for transfer news, analysis and opinion from the Athletic's esteemed football writers. But the first big change is me, Tony Evans, as your host. I'm the former football editor of the Times of London and I've been on the Mersey beat for years. You'll never walk alone as part of Anfield folklore and we want a new name that truly resonates with Liverpool, the fans, the history, the essence of the club. So that's where we went for Walk On. Join us twice a week through the winds and the rain as Jürgen Klopp's Reds aim to save their season and maybe even sign a bleeding midfielder in January. Simply search for Walk On on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Come on, have a listen. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. 
Rodri with a pass high out towards the right-hand side. Mares brings that down brilliantly. He's so good at that. And then slips it to Walker, whose ball across is turned in. And Foden's joined the scoring list. And this could become ugly for Graham Potter and Chelsea here in the FA Cup. All right, yeah, Sunday afternoon in Manchester. Man City 4, Chelsea very much nil. Ria Mares, who always scores against Chelsea this season. Uh, opening proceedings with a lovely free kick. Then you had Kai Havertz's regrettable handball, converted as a penalty by Julian Alvarez. Then you had Phil Foden dancing through the hapless Chelsea players to make it 3-0 by half-time. City, by this point, had had seven shots. Chelsea, absolutely none whatsoever. And then in the second half, we had another penalty. Foden brought down this time. Riyamara is converting and 4-0. And Graham Potter, all of a sudden, his position... A major talking point, as I say, in exactly the manner that four months ago when he was hired, everyone said it would be crazy for him to be under discussion. Bingo. That's what's happening. But uh, should we talk about City first of all and how good they've all of a sudden become again? That third goal, I thought was a, was a beauty, wasn't it, in terms of the way that they moved the ball, you know, one and two touch. Chelsea was chasing shadows. It was a little bit embarrassing. It was a very timid, passive pitiful performance really from Chelsea I think their defending in that move was encapsulated the the overall display but that said it was a great move and I love the the last moment underlap from Carl Walker and, and he played with his head up squared the ball um, for Foden to score so yeah that that was the highlight of just a, an embarrassingly one-sided game so on the one hand Potter himself said that City are are probably the worst opponent you can play when things are not going well because they can make it look like you're not trying. And in his defence, he's not had long, this isn't his team, to turn things around. But on the other, as Colin Miller points out, he's had four months and within that time, Thomas Tuchel, two years ago, had won away at Man City in the Premier League, beat them in the FA Cup semi-finals, and then also in the Champions League final. So where do you stand, Tim? Yeah, I think the thing is... You've got to start to see signs of improvement that players are doing and implementing ideas that he's trying to encourage them to do on the training ground and performances don't suggest that and 20 goals in 17 Premier League games don't suggest that. I saw someone write this morning that, you know, Abramovich would have sacked him by now, but equally Abramovich wouldn't have hired him. So this is this is a, a new Chelsea and it, it's a massive call for Todd Bowley as to what he does from here. I mean, the injury list is is crippling and that is in his defence. But like I said, you've got to see signs of improvement that the players want to play for him because if they don't, then it's inevitable that he'll leave and that he'll be the full guy here because... Um, it didn't no look sense. like they wanted to play for him at the weekend, did no, it? It, it? was It, it was... It, the body language was really bad, I thought. Uh, there was no energy. No, no one was really making runs with or without the ball. And, and that's been a, a problem for them this season. Um, yeah, the, the, the goal count is awful, but, but it's not as if they're creating that many chances. I wrote a piece on, on, on Chelsea the other day for the Premier League. So this is one game. Actually, no, this would be up to date, I think. Um, for shots this season, 17th in the Premier League. Expected goals, 15th. Big chances, 13th. Shots in box 12th. It's it's not great. This <laughs> is Chelsea. And the, and the other factor, and, and the, this is a weird one because Chelsea, with all the money they've spent, should not be so reliant on a wing back. But Rhys James, okay, 19 of their 25 Premier League points have been earned when Rhys James has played. He's played in eight of 17 Premier League matches. Um, less than half. So... 
a huge difference. And there, you know, the, the the shots, the goal tally, you know, goal tally, everything is much much higher when he plays. Mm. They've lost six of their last nine matches. They're lying ten points off the top four. They've also lost Thiago Silva's wife, who put on social media. This weekend, I think that going back or looking for solutions when you've taken a hasty or totally wrong attitude is not wrong, whatever that means. Of course, amongst those bad results, another defeat to Man City, which happened just last Thursday in the Premier League. Daniel. Yeah, and that was a slightly better performance. But the problem at the moment is that they're losing when they play okay, and they're losing when they play badly. Manchester City are a horrible opponent to face, but as you've just detailed, that they've lost to most other teams in most other positions in the Premier League as well. It's vaguely reassuring, to be honest, that a club can't, a big, rich club can't just pluck a brilliant coach and it all work out really well, because then that really would might be curtains for every non-elite club whose coach, whose manager is doing really well because you just pick him and it works. And it doesn't work that easy. You have to have... The reason that Potter worked so well at Brighton is because everything was geared up to make his work work on the pitch and with his staff and with the off-field staff. And Chelsea have merrily tried to pick everyone of those mm. from Brighton. And the more they do it, the more it doesn't seem to work, which so, is, as I say, is quite reassuring. Well, I'm confused about that because, as you say, he's brought his staff with them. Presumably the, the the club is geared for him to be a success and make them a success. And, Adrian, you're suggesting that the, the way they're playing makes it look like they're not actually committed to him. But he seems such a gent and he seemed, above all, such a, a, a great manager of people yeah. with all the... The, the, the training that he's done with that and the record that he's got in that. So why do you think that they wouldn't be playing for him? It's a good question. Yeah, he's a great guy, isn't he? Very likeable. Clearly a s supremely smart coach as well. We saw that at Brighton. We saw that with Ostersons previously in Swansea, of course. It could be a lack of respect from Chelsea's players who liked Thomas Tuchel, definitely respected his ability to bring success to the club. And I think that Todd Bowley's decision to, to axe him wouldn't have gone down particularly well in the dressing room and that there's a, a bit of a hangover from that. That, that, that is, what, that is the, what I see looking in from the outside because the, the players aren't responding to Potter's requests, his tactical uh, you know, uh, demands, anywhere near as well as Brighton's players were. The other thing I think that there has been an awful lot of change at Chelsea. Um, new owner, new set of off-field staff, new coach, 12 new players signed since in Bowley's reign already. This was despite him coming in with these mixed messages that were like, you know, we like what Liverpool have done with their model. We need to be careful about FFP. We can't spend, you know, unrestricted money. And yet they've spent unrestricted money on young players, but then also signed Sterling and Koulibaly and... There just seems to be so many mixed messages. And I think a manager like Potter will work even with those messages if he's got time to implement them. The issue is that he was appointed by Brighton on the 20th of May and given as long as you can have of a lead in into the first game to sort that. He's appointed by Swansea in, I think, on the 4th of June. Again, huge lead in into the season. He's appointed by Chelsea a month into a season and a month into a new owner's reign in which he's already sacked a manager. And he is a huge lurch from that previous manager. So I just think it's a... I, I think it reflects badly on everyone but Graham Potter. And obviously his reputation will take a hit because you don't get sacked by a big club and it not. We saw what happened to David Moyes. But I don't think it 
it reflects too badly on him because I think it's just a bit of a mess. All right. Well, as yet, there's no, I don't think, concrete word of Chelsea reaching anything like that kind of decision, but the results being what they are. Yeah, but it wasn't just Graham Potter, as Daniel was talking about. Mm. There's a lot of backroom staff that have joined, including people in senior recruitment roles. What did, what did Chelsea do with them? If they sack Potter, do they sack them without even having a window to actually do their job? It, right. It's it's a bit of a mess. I, I personally would stick with him. I think he will get it right, but mm. but there will be more short-term pain before, before the good times roll again, I think. OK. Ever the case in football. City uh, will be hosting either Oxford or Arsenal in the fourth round of the Cup. They've also got Saints away in the Carabao Cup on Wednesday. That'd be interesting. Liverpool faced Wolves, Tim Spears. It was a 2-2 draw, but should it have been, question mark, question mark? No, it should have been the 3-2 win to Wolverhampton Wanderers. Uh, this is an injustice. And I, 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 hate, I hate this as a, as, a, as a Wolves fan, and I get bored of the whole, oh, corruption against uh, big club, small club bias. But this was this was ridiculous. They want you to get bored, Tim. That's what they're counting on. <laughs> yeah, this is crazy. Wolves, Wolves scored a, a legitimate, uh, what would probably have been a winning goal through Totti Gomez. And um, yeah, Mateus Nunes, the corner taker, the ball had come back to him and the uh, assistant referee judged that he was in an offside position but there was no camera angle to check if that was the correct call or not. Um, it wasn't the correct call. Um, but the goal didn't stand. They're not um, supposed to make calls unless it's really <laughs> obvious, are they? The linesman? I mean, isn't that the new edict? They make no decision and they they let the technology deal with it. No? Yeah. No, yeah, absolutely right. And it didn't look particularly tight either. He's looking through a crowd of players as well from, from the far side. It's Trent that plays... The Wolves player on, on side, yeah? Yeah, that's right. But um, So basically, uh, my colleague at The Athletic, Steve Madies, looked into it. He's written a good piece on, on exactly how this happened uh, this morning. And basically, the camera was uh, zoomed in too tightly. So. Yeah, so VAR, <laughs> as Daniel will know, uses two cam- ta- cameras to, I, w- I want to say triangulate, but that would take three. So I don't know what the binary equivalent would be. But anyway, to form a precise indication of who's where on the field. And one of the cameras hadn't zoomed back out. From the corner, courtesy of ITV, they've called this a freak event. Should say that almost exactly the same thing happened at Juventus just before they went on their current unbelievable eight-game winning uh, streak with no goals conceded. So I mean, it does happen, but it happened this time to Wolves, and they've got to try again next week against Liverpool back at theirs. Mm. It was a really good game, actually. I, I saw. I, Team sheets came out, and I just I assumed Wolves would get walloped. To be honest, because Liverpool selected a, uh, a strong team, and Wolves Wolves didn't really compared to you know recent um, uh, lineups. But Julian Lopetegui's making a real impact, and that they're playing like a proper team again. And you know we mentioned about maybe not seeing improvements in Chelsea's players. Well, I think you're already seeing improvements in Wolves' players. Gonzalo Guedes had his his best game so far. I mean, he's done absolutely nothing. It's, it's set, a very, set a very low bar. Um, <laughs> But yeah, and it, 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 it was just a, a strange game of quite a few unusual things happening. I mean, Alisson's mistake for the for Guedes's goal is remarkable. Really, he's 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 just rolled the, a, a terrible roll out to Thiago, who gets his his pocket picked. Somehow Liverpool get away with that, and literally five seconds later, he just he kicks the ball straight at Guedes, who's right there, and, and he taps in. As sensational as Alisson is, and he has been great this season, he's always been prone to these these dozy moments, hasn't he? I think we're just so relaxed that, that he makes these these errors. Just taking it back to, to that goal briefly, do we think that the offside rule needs looking at in terms of when 
players are, are heading backwards towards their own goal. So the Mo Salah goal? No, not that ah. one. That one as well, I think, is mm. that should have been disallowed. But I'm talking about Brighton had a goal chalked off against Arsenal recently where a, a player from a corner was... was um, running back towards their own goal and it was their trailing leg that was mm. offside. There is no advantage. When you're running the opposite way, right. there is zero zero advantage to, to being ahead of the last man. It feels to me as if that incident and this one um, should prompt at least a review of the offside law. What do you think, Daniel? What we need is another one or two reasons for me not to understand the offside law anymore. Um <laughs> Because I already, I'm already struggling with 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 toenails and armpits and handball laws, and uh, so yeah, I, I I just feel like another moving part is probably just too much. The the Salah one is bizarre to me in that when VAR came in, I was led to understood that it would improve the laws we had. That Salah goal basically, to to my mind, when managers catch on to that, completely changes how how attacks would operate because you can goal hang and if a defender makes an attempt a deliberate attempt to play the ball then you can get away with goal hanging if they make a mistake which seems completely extraordinary yeah. to me and that's what happened mm. well it was Totti again who aware of the fact that Mo Salah was roving around behind him and, and unable to be sure himself whether Salah was offside who headed the ball but the unfortunate bounce then took it straight to Salah, but having come off Totti, Salah was now no longer offside <laughs> well, and bingo. Your job as a defender is to defend and to try and stop a goal, isn't it? But he couldn't be sure that Salah was offside, so he has to de- has to try and try, try and intervene. The fact that he is offside, it, sh- it should be chalked off. I mean, Daniel's absolutely right. It, 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 that, that particular law needs changing. And I would argue the other one where players are, are running towards their own goal. If they're classified as, as offside as well, I, 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 it doesn't feel right to me. I see, Adrian. Uh, what was Cody Gakpo like on his Liverpool debut, Tim? Uh, I thought he was he was shackled pretty pretty well, really. Um, as were as were the rest of Liverpool's players. Um, yeah, Wolves fielded a debutant right back in Dexter Lembakisa, who they plucked from the under twenty threes, and I thought he coped with him pretty well on the whole. Um, and also mentioned for Joe Hodge in midfield, young midfielder they signed from Man City eighteen months ago. Um, Wolves were outnumbered in midfield, but him and Ruben Neves uh, kept them pretty quiet. It's only Liverpool's midfield, does not it? <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, one more thing to mention from a Wolves perspective, Huang Hee-chan scored the equaliser, which was nicely worked with um, new signing Mateus Cunha, uh, who looked pretty good off the bench. But it was a nice sort of slight redemption story for Huang. I was at Anfield in May on the last day of the season uh, to watch him laughed at by his own players because he was, he was playing that badly. Um, his own teammates yeah, he hadn't scored, at him. Yeah, he hadn't scored for a while and the ball kind of ran away from him in the box and he chased it. Um, over to the touchline and couldn't keep it in and two subs stood right there Daniel Pedence and Fabio Silva just just burst out laughing Um, it was a horrible moment for him but yeah he scored a lovely goal and again is one of these players that Lopetegui seems to have improved in a short space of time so very good Magnificent Tim meantime Saturday lunchtime saw you at Spurs no Do, do we have to do we have to James uh, if, if if we talked about this in a week, I would I would I would remember nothing from it. it was, okay, it was awful. There were two shots me... on target in the okay. whole game. Uh, one was the winning goal, and Portsmouth managed a it's nice a great winning game. goal. It was a great winning goal. That was the highlight of the game, obviously. All right, tell us about the great winning goal from Harry Kane. Yeah, a rare, a rare. Uh, I think it was it was technically outside the box, um, re- just about rare for him these days. A nice little one-two with uh, Oliver Skip, and yeah, hammers it into the corner to take him to within one goal. 
of Jimmy Greaves's record. Um, yeah, I knew he wasn't going to score another afterwards because he's saving it for Arsenal this weekend. Wow. It's destiny, isn't it? It is destiny. It's, it's, it, to win that game, Arsenal are going to need to score at least two or three because Kane's short to score, isn't he? Wow. One goal shy. Rare to use the word Kane and goal shy in the same sentence, but he's one goal shy of Greaves' all-time scoring record of 266. And what's his record in the North London derby? Very good. There you go. <laughs> 14 good. goals, says producer Charlie's been keeping track. My word. Okay, well, that, but still, they took the lead. They didn't go behind Spurs. Yeah, one, no, one shot on target against third tier Pompey. Portsmouth, Portsmouth played played really well. I was I was really impressed with their organisation. You know, uh, obviously Danny Cowley was sacked in the week, and um, you expected a bit of a reaction. Nine thousand Portsmouth fans as well made a right racket, which which was great. They just couldn't quite do anything in the final third. But they actually, you know, not only did they defend well, but they put together some nice passages of play. Um, it was a good performance. Spurs made eight changes. You know their squad doesn't doesn't run that deep to be honest. But um, I was recording the view from the lane Spurs pod this morning, and they're already talking about the draw opening up. Uh, very excited about the number of Premier League teams, as you mentioned earlier, James, that have been knocked out. And if Spurs do get a kind run, you know their results this season, apart from losing to Villa, they've only lost to teams in the in the top six. They do tend to dispatch teams below them in the league pretty well so if they can get a favourable draw they've got Preston away next round then yeah they'll I mean, they'll certainly fancy their chances and Conte would love to be the guy to break that trophy drought right we should probably bear in mind as well with Antonio Conte that this has been an unbelievably mm. difficult season for him first of all Giampiero Ventroni uh, dying so suddenly and then Sinisa Mihailovic mm. another of his uh, former uh, colleagues and then Gianluca Vialli who was so close with him from their time at Juventus, yeah, we didn't um, we didn't hear from Antonio. Uh, he didn't he didn't do pre or, or post uh, match press, uh, obviously understandably. But he did put a lovely a lovely post on Instagram saying you know he'd, he'd had uh, uh, dinner with his great friend you know quite recently and obviously uh, heartbroken um, by losing him. And as you say, yeah, it's been you know we, we forget about these things, don't we? But you, you've got to remember the, the 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 grief that he's had to endure in the past few months. It's, mm. it's heartbreaking. All right. Elsewhere in the third round of the FA Cup, what else should we uh, should we highlight? Fulham, perhaps. Oh, Adrian, you went along to this. I did. In yeah. Hull, this was the Marco Silva derby, one of the many. Yes. But Hull against Fulham, two two clubs that I think really enjoy his stewardship. <laughs> well, Fulham, Fulham certainly are enjoying yeah, it, aren't I think, they? I think Hull have happy memories to them. I mean, he, he did very well at the start, and then they did go down. I think oh, yeah, under, under his tenure, that. and he did, I think, sort of mercilessly. Uh, sort himself out I with see. a move to Watford yeah. a couple of days after that relegation. Snake-like. <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, but no, it was... Uh, oh, this was this was the most polite cup tie you could ever wish to see. There were no tackles. There was no... Zero blood and thunder. It was... Yeah, it was way too nice for, for my taste. Um, but yeah, for Fulham, Fulham ran out comf- comfortable winners. It was sort of the highlight was Hull chasing the equaliser in the last minute. The goalie goes up and then, of course... They break uh, into the into the empty half and, and and score a goal. Daniel James, it was that ran through to to, to seal it with a two two nil win. But yeah, Fulham took it more seriously than Hull. They played quite a strong lineup, and so they should. I mean, they're not going to go down this year, are they? Fulham, they might as well go for it in in the cup competitions. I think that Silva's doing a great job. He's, he's certainly learned from his struggles at, at sort of Watford, Everton. What do you think's different? Karma. He's, he's he's just karma. I think he was so. He had so many bright ideas as a young coach, so enthusiastic that I think he would 
burnout a little bit with his players that he always got an initial reaction from his teams and they could never maintain it. Uh, they would always then hit a wall. And I think he he took defeats hard as a young coach and let it get to him. You know, disappointment, you, you need to be able to handle it. And I think he can now. To paraphrase Eddie Murphy in 48 Hours, is that a, a player's worst nightmare, a young manager with a with an idea? <laughs> a young manager with an idea? No, I don't think so. But a, a player's worst nightmare is a, is a young manager that, is too emotional, that gets right. carried away. Because you can have a a win and he's like, he's your best mate and he's saying, he's telling you, you're going to get a move to the Premier League, you're, you're going to do this, you're going to do that. And then two defeats later, you're drops and you're out of the team because he's panicked because mm. he hasn't seen it before. I think that Marco Silva has calmed down and uh, he's doing a great job. I mean, he's already equaled the points tally that Scott Parker achieved when they went down right. two years ago. He's bettered the tally that Ranieri and Parker got to before they got relegated the, the previous time. So they're flying. The only worry is the backup to Alexander Mitrovic, who didn't yeah. play, he didn't play at the MKM. Uh, Vinicius up top, <laughs> precious little, one chance, scuffed it badly wide. I think that's a, that's a massive downgrade from Mitrovic to, to Vinicius. I think Fulham could do with a, a striker in January. Although they do have Levin Kurzawa. On the score of a Champions League hat trick on their books as it yeah. as it emerges this weekend. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I kind of forgot he was at Fulham anyway. Like, he can't really get a game, but yeah, he scored a nice little finish um, from a rebound in, in the match. But yeah, this is a quite a forgettable cup tie. Fulham are through. Job done. All right, Cardiff two leads two. We touched on that briefly before. Anything else we want to add to that? Yeah, I, I enjoy watching Leeds United games, but I also enjoy more than any other team following them on Twitter if you follow any Leeds fans because the way that they that support kind of roller coasters because the team roller coasters is really is something else I mean they had a they had an expensive defence out with fair enough with a backup goalkeeper although Joel Robles has got lots of experience uh, and they were truly terrible in the first half and it was all as it always is it was kind of marsh out it's this team's going nowhere it's like we've we've bought into Red Bull and we're dreadful it's like it's all going to fall apart you know we'll be doing meat raffles at half time in three years to raise money for the club yada 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 and then <laughs> leads come back and there's like fire in their bellies and they fight back and it, it was a brilliant cup tie but you just sort of wonder how anyone's still got the energy for all this because it's just relentless for Leeds. Every week it's like that, basically, that there'll be a period of time in the game when they look like the worst team in the division or in the competition. And then there'll be 20 minutes where you think you want to just want to shake them and go, why can't you always be like this? <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, they have a, another game coming up against Cardiff back at theirs. That'll be what next week, I'm imagining. Have they have they scheduled that yet? Yeah, I think they're, they're, the, yeah, they're the Tuesday, Wednesday, not decided which days yet. Okay. Man United will not need a replay for their tie with Everton. That finished 3-1 to Eric Ten Hag's side. That's his seventh win in a row in all competitions with United. Anthony opened the scoring, set up by Marcus Rashford, who also played a part in the second goal for United. Connor Cody had equalised after a... Well, you, you mentioned Alisson before. What to make of David De Gea's decision-making on the, on the Everton equaliser? Uh, it was a bit of Laurel and Hardy esque, wasn't it? Really, I, what, what happened to to backup goalkeepers coming into yeah, cup, to yeah. cup games? <laughs> um, yeah, I'm all incredible. for playing the number one. So, I, I, yeah, I, I just think 
goalies don't need rests. Essentially, he missed. He, uh, uh, the explanation is that he thought the ball was going to hit the post, so he allowed it to just. Is that is is that what you think happened? Uh, is, is is that what he I said? Think, I, I don't. I don't know. It just looked like it looked like how I would be in goal in a five-a-side game. You know, whenever you get put in goal, I always think, don't be good. Because you don't want to be put back there. Right, you know, if yeah. you're an outfield player, just it's be like so bad. in the dishwasher, Adrian. Yeah, exactly. If you do it too well, you'll have to do it every exactly. day. Exactly. Be so bad that they never want you in goal again. And I just think it was a kind of mistake. How many I other activities made. do you apply that philosophy to? <laughs> there was a few. There was a few. Mainly household chores. Right. Um, but yeah, no, it was, it was really bad. Um, but I tell you what, Marcus Rashford was really mm. good. Right. How good is he at the moment? So he set up the first two goals, mm. the, the second of them being, for, for United, the second one being as it turned out, Conor Cody own goal and scored the third goal from the spot. So what's behind that, do you think? He's just confident, isn't Good. he? Yeah, that's it. that's it. I mean, it's a simple game. If you're confident, you know your manager loves you. Right. You know that you're playing well and you know that you've got the speed with or without the ball to, to go past your man. It, it can it can invigorate you and... Yeah, Marcus Rashford at the moment, every time he's, he has the ball at his feet, I think he believes he's going to rip the full back to shreds. Yeah, it just, well, it just shows how much of football is played in the head, right? And I think he's, he's spoken a bit about this himself, you know, how he's in a different headspace, he's got, he's got a renewed energy, mm. he's struggled uh, with, with certain issues in the past couple of years uh, through lockdown. You know, the talent was always there. He, he seems like he's got a really good attitude to me and he's a very conscientious uh, man. And he, I think he had a point to prove as well. You know, his career was, was had, had stalled, really, and, and was going stale. He's also been injury-free for a while, which has played a, played a big difference. But it's, it's great to see. It's one, of, it's one of the better stories of the season. I'm really enjoying watching him thrive. Excellent. Man United will be taking on Reading in the fourth round with their former player, Paul Inscourse, now doing so well at the helm. They've also got Carabao Cup quarterfinal action on Tuesday night. Who are they facing? Charlton Athletic. Crikey. Yeah. How are Charlton doing at the moment? Uh, improving, but but underperforming, basically. So, so they're one of about 10 huge clubs at League One level. And they were one of the worst performing of those earlier on in the season. They sacked their manager, Ben Garner, and brought in Dean Holden, who previously was at Bristol City. He's been a number two for many places throughout his career. He's a season ticket holder at Old Trafford. He, he lives in Manchester. So it's quite a tie for him. Um, yeah, there's some stories of, I think he confessed to sneaking in ticketless at Old Trafford in the past. You know, so there's, there's some good stuff um, on Dean Holden. Um, in terms of the team, they've got two really good young players. I think that's the most interesting. It's basically the two top scorers. They're both on six, so it's not not a whole lot. Miles Lieburn, who's 19, is son of Carl. Um, our older listeners might remember Carl Lieburn um, from the late 80s, the 90s. Big lanky front man for Charlton Athletic. His son's really good. And uh, there's a guy called Jesserin Raksaki, who's 20. He's on loan from Palace. He's a terrific player. So, so those two whiz kids uh, might have their moments in this game. But yeah, I, I looked at their away record. Two wins from 12 in League One. Mm. Doesn't fill you with great optimism that they're going to gonna test Ten Hag's United. Right. United who have reached the semi-finals of the Carabao Cup in two of the last three seasons. They haven't met Charlton, though, in 16 years. So that'll be fun. That's on Tuesday 
at eight o'clock. Tim? Uh, if Dean Holden gets sent to the stands during the game, does he go and sit in his seat? <laughs> That's what I would say. Ooh, nice. Very good, very yeah. good, yeah. Arsene Wenger didn't have that luxury, did he, that time? <laughs> no. The <laughs> other games in the Carabao Cup quarterfinals are Nottingham Forest against Wolves. Ooh. That's the Daniel Ooh. against Tim derby. Loggerheads. Fight, 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 fight. Yeah. <laughs> also, no, I'm not that bothered. Also a repeat of the 1980 League Cup final, famously. <laughs> Do you remember that one, Daniel? Uh, it was five years before I was born, so no, but I have seen the goal. It was a balls up by defender and goalkeeper. Daniel playing it towards Andy Gray. Could be interesting. And this is the goal. Andy Gray has scored it. Needham and Shelton got in a terrible mix. Forest had other prizes at that time. We don't have other prizes anymore, so I am quite looking forward to this game because it's a it's a big chance if you can hope that someone you know scouts a Manchester club and you draw Leicester or Newcastle in the two-legged semi-final. It's a it's a chance of a Wembley trip, and Forest are entering a transfer window, which means that things are starting to happen off the field. They, their, their chief executive um, has left by mutual consent. It's been announced on this Monday morning, so. Things are never dull in the transfer window at the city ground. I see. Newcastle and Leicester facing each other on Tuesday. Adrian, you're going along to that one. I am, yeah. I'm, a co- I'm co-commentating on this game on the radio. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I've not, I've not worked at St. James's Park as a broadcaster before. So, yeah, and it's a huge game. I mean, for Newcastle United, this, I think, is their biggest game of the season so far. Maybe their biggest game for, for a long, long time because we know how much they want a trophy. And they're at the FA Cup. They're dumped out by Sheffield Wednesday, of course. And they're with it. What a good opportunity, I think, for them to reach a, a League Cup final. I think St. James's Park is going to be bristling for this one. And Leicester City, obviously, recent history of winning the FA Cup. But you know, they're a decent team that would love to, to make it as well. Newcastle battered them, didn't they, recently? 3-0 uh, on Boxing Day at the King Power. So... Has Brendan Rodgers learned from that? What will they do differently? But yeah, I think this is going to be um, a really interesting cup tie, a proper quarterfinal. Mm. And the other quarterfinal is Saints against Man City, which we mentioned earlier on. Saints, we didn't say, actually winning this weekend 2-1 at Palace. Nathan Jones, in fact, has won both of his cup ties in charge at Southampton, but lost four out of four in the Premier League. All right, very good. Uh, in a moment, we'll touch on one or two things that happened around Europe and also get one or two thoughts on Gianluca Vialli as we sign off for this Totally Football show. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. You're listening to The Totally Football Show with James Richardson, sponsored by LifeScore Bet. You can get the latest football betting odds at LifeScoreBet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. This weekend in Spain, Barcelona went three points clear. After Real Madrid lost at Villarreal with a lineup for the first time ever that featured no Spanish players whatsoever. Now, it just so happens that the Athletic has recently expanded its Spanish football coverage and brought in a whole flock of new writers and editors, one of whom, Guillermo Rai, was actually at the Villarreal Real Madrid game on Saturday night. So, to celebrate this new continental coverage, he joins us now to explain what on earth happened. Guillermo, first of all, welcome to The Athletic. And how was Saturday night? Well, it was a surprise because Real Madrid, since the World Cup, have won their last two games before the Villarreal game. And Kike Setien's squad surprised Ancelotti. And they beat them. It was a surprise for all the journalists that came from Madrid and we're gathering there at the La Ceramica Stadium. By the way, La Ceramica Stadium is a very British stadium. Now they, they have rebuilt it and it seems like a Caribbean cottage or a Spanish Caribbean cottage, a Spanish uh, Selhurst Park, something like that. Very nice. It wasn't just that they lost the Real Madrid, it was that the manner of it, conceding 17 shots, eight on, on target to Villarreal, who had been in terrific form uh, under Kike Setien, unbeaten in the their last six, but uh, Real Madrid not as convincing. To what extent was the the changes in their lineup seen as, as the reason for that, Guillermo? Well, I think that we have to look back at the summer, uh, the summer transfer window. I mean, Casemiro left Real Madrid and is an important ausence. So I think Real Madrid tried to to replace Casemiro with Suamini, but uh, Suamini is still adapting to Real Madrid. And that's why Real Madrid, one of the explanations I could give it to you is that the Suamini is still adapting and Real Madrid suffered because of that. All right. Defensively as well, they looked, uh, uh, which no doubt Casemiro's uh, departure has some, some bearing on as well. But uh, defensively, as that shot count suggests, uh, one or two issues. But the fact that it was for the first time in their history, an all foreign lineup, not a single Spanish player, that happening at Real Madrid, was that a big deal in Spain? Not really, not really, because uh, Spanish people and most of all Real Madrid fans 
consider that uh, Spanish players nowadays they don't have a proper level and Real Madrid uh, didn't bet on Spanish players or, or Spanish midfielders like Gabi or Pedri uh, so it's, it's just a fact, it's not a concern it's not a real concept but the fact is that it was the first time that they they play with 11 players uh, from outside the Spain and they lose so they have they have problems, it's, it's another fact, and they have to, to fix them. As ever, you can keep across uh, all the latest from Spanish clubs at the Athletic. Guillermo, what have you got up this week? Tomorrow we will have, uh, I think, a very good piece about Real Madrid contracts, if I can say that. You certainly can. <laughs> all right, looking forward Thank to you. seeing that and uh, so much more. Guillermo, thank you so much for joining us today. It was a pleasure. While we're on the subject of Euro stuff, of course, we've got a dedicated continental football roundup. That is the Tuesday Totally Football Show. Alvaro Romeo will be along then to talk about Barca going three points clear. Also about the Spanish Super Cup, which is taking place this week. A four-team affair in Saudi Arabia. Yeah. Uh, anyway, we'll also have uh, Julian Laron and James Horncastle on Napoli going seven points clear again at the top and all sorts of other stuff from from Syria, Juve, eight straight wins, no goals conceded, remarkable stuff. And also, I'm sure we'll talk a bit about Gianluca Vialli, but uh, before we wrap up today, Adrian, I know that you've met Gianluca. I think everybody who came into contact with him, this is one of the, the things that, as great as his career was, and he, early 90s, was one of the most important players in in the most important league in the world. What's really stood out in the reaction is the way that everyone's responded to him, almost like a big brother. Yeah, yeah, he was just a classy person, wasn't he? Um, softly spoken, no ego to him at all. Um, and I think when he spoke, he he didn't speak in cliches. He he, he spoke. He was almost like a philosopher. Mm. He, he would say things that that prompted you to think think about things slightly slightly differently. He was a very smart guy. Um, and, and a very good player, obviously part of that initial influx of, of overseas players. One of the, you know, the originals, I suppose, to, to come over. Yeah, I think and, he was a pioneer in that sense. I yeah. mean, before that, he'd been yeah. Champions League winner oh. at Juve, title winner at Juve, title winner at Sampdoria, which is kind of remarkable when you look at where yeah. the club was before. And after part of a great team with, with Mancini and, and so many other yeah. stars. But but what a, what a guy, Just Daniel. A, a great person. Yeah, say so for someone my age, I was born in 1985 and the Italian 90s, the first major tournament I remember. So the, the amazing thing about Viali was kind of how, I tweeted this at the time, but how, how he kind of seemed to sit perfectly over old and new football for, for people who were born exactly that time because Italian 90 felt like this kind of grand awakening that then had the lesser known football Italia following on from it and that kind of... It, that, that kind of explosion of information at an age when we were just trying to soak up football and there's this sort of completely new product that we we feasted upon and then obviously Viali was one of the stars of those and then he was also we then he, he kind of became up in this sort of completely new guise as this sort of foreign pioneer in the Premier League and was equally as exciting because it, it felt we already kind of half knew him but we didn't know much about him and you know, players like with 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 him and and Zola, especially at Chelsea, just yeah, it almost felt like we'd had two two awakenings of the same player, and that 
that inevitably makes you feel very fond about them. And, you know, I never met Luca Viali, but it's, it's really heartwarming that you do hear the things that Adrian and, and you, James, are saying about him because it kind of makes it feel like all that hero worship was, was worth it, was all vindicated. Uh, he was pretty specific. I mean, you mentioned his his philosophical attitude to life and some of the things that as he went through this journey, as he called it, with his his cancer, some of the beliefs that he arrived at, he felt made him a better person. And certainly the way he talked about life and how to be happy, I think, was 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 revelatory in, in many cases. One of the things that he was very clear on was that he wanted a happy funeral. He wanted he wanted to be people to be happy, which I think is a great attitude. And I think it's the, the natural way to react to a, a life like his in which he did so much so so very well and made so many people and left so many people with with so many so many happy memories. I mean, I, I had nothing but really, really happy thoughts about every, every time that I encountered him back in back in Italy and, and over here. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, yeah, just just a very universally popular character. If you see the video of him embracing Mancini after the Euros final, yeah. where they're both in floods of tears. For me, I mean, that was sort of a heartbreaking uh, thing to watch, but also... It was a true sort of brothers in arms moment, wasn't it? Where, you know, two best friends that have been through life together, working together so often, um, former teammates, of course, just best buddies, climbing to the top of that mountain at Wembley Stadium. I, I just, I thought that was a, a beautiful image. Well, really James Horncastle wrote a really nice piece about that back at the time and, and has done another piece kind of summing up uh, Luca's legacy uh, on and off the field uh, this week on the Athletic. If you if you want to kind of do a deep dive into Viali's life, you you could also check out. We did uh, with James and, and Gab Marcotti, who worked so closely with with Gianluca uh, in the past. We did a couple of Golazzo episodes, a special two parter on on Gianluca, just because he was such a character, and I think we all loved him so much. We just wanted to to talk about him a lot. Anyway. There you go. Yeah, it's been a, a rough start to to the year with Pele, who, but I mean, Pele felt a bit more like Father Christmas or something. He was a kind of a almost a fairy tale figure, whereas Viali was a more, I think, of a real part of our lives. So it really hit hard this Tim. and so young as well. Mm. And you know, it it, it it was his personality as as much as his football, which made him so so popular. And you know, I'm sure a lot of people listening as well, James, would like to thank you for helping bring that. Well, I mean, I, I would thank him for being part of. <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. but I mean, absolutely, I mean, and I, I appreciate you saying that. But my reaction was would be just like, well, how lucky was I to be, mm. you know, sat there with that incredible? I mean, it was a great series of elements that came together to make that show, you know, popular back then. And 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 Luca, one hundred percent, was 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 part of that. He was always a really, really, really generous how big a star he was when I kind of first rocked up to say, uh, excuse me, Mr. Viali. And, and he was super nice. I think pretty much in his first interview, he, he kind of rapped for us a bit of Pencil Positivo by Giovanotti. He would he would do all kinds of, I mean, he was always happy to, when he was moving to Chelsea, he brought along a tub of Marmite for him to try, see how he felt, get him settled in. And, you know, he would he would do all that stuff. Anyway, I mean, as I say, he, he what, a, what a life well lived. And uh, Gianluca Vielli, we salute you. That bring, brings us to the end of today's uh, Totally. As mentioned, there is a Euro edition around on Tuesday with an increasing amount to chat about as the leagues return to action. So do check that one out. And we'll be back on Thursday with a Carabao Cup roundup and a look ahead to what's going on in the Premier League. 
this weekend. Crikey, for now, it's many, many thanks to Daniel, to Adrian, and to Tim, to producer Charlie, and you, listener. We're back soon. Have a great time. Till then. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Discover bonus video content by searching for The Totally Football Show on YouTube and see the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Totally Football Show is an athletic media company production and sponsored by LiveScoreBet. Get the latest football betting odds at LiveScoreBet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. The Athletic.